Cool. Okay. Let's get uh, this. Should we do a clap? Yep. Three, two, one. Okay. There you go. You can sync up your own clap into that. Like fucking it's not the me. first time you've got the clap, right? Clapping. <laughs> 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 Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Another Whiskey Podcast. I am your co-host, Nicholas Polacki, joined as always by the beautiful Mr. Mitch Bouchard. Mitch, say hello. 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 Uh, hello. This is the journey of Stories and Myths Part 2. Now, for those of you that are regular listeners, you'll know that not too long ago, almost a year ago actually, uh, in fact, by the time this goes out, it'll be almost a year to the day that we did Stories and Myths Part 1, which was a really well-received, uh, fun look at us going into some of the weird and wonderful things, some of the, the, the things that needed to be, maybe some truths that maybe needed to be dispelled a little bit, right Mitch? And just got to experiment and talk about some of the cool things that we've seen in this industry, some of the cool people, some of the amazing stories and, and, and things that you hear along the journeys of visiting distilleries and things like that. And we thought it'd be a great opportunity to dive back in and do Stories and Myths, part two, 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 two. Mitch, how's your week been? Good, mate, good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the other the other point, I think you made it on the last episode as well, mate, that we're running out of uh, content and, and subject now. <laughs> no, I said that you're running out of chat. That's a different thing from us running out of content. Story of my life, mate. Story of my life. Um, yeah, no. Uh, uh, oh, good, mate. Yeah, just been a busy week, getting ready to go on holiday. Uh, as we record this, I'm literally like a couple of hours away from switching down the laptop and going on holiday for a good couple of weeks. So I've got a couple of things planned. As I've mentioned before on the show, I'm going to go out to España and uh, go to Jerez, drink some sherry. And uh, we've agreed to record a wee episode. So you, you guys are going to be getting some information on Sherry coming very soon on one of our episodes. So that's going to be exciting, mate. And um, yeah, just uh, keeping warm up here in Speyside. That's been about it. What about you, buddy? What's been happening? No, funny you mentioned that. Did I, did I ever tell you about this book that I got? This absolutely killer book on Sherry. It's just called The the Wine World's Best Kept Secret Sherry with Cocktails and Recipes by Talia, and I'm going to butcher her last name because it's Italian and it's not far off the way that I would say Polacki, but I'm going to go with Biocchi. Biocchi? Sure. You know, it's Why Italia Biocchi, but it's a great book. I'll tell you what, it's, it's, a, it's a great book. Like, it's, it's like a... It's just a really good synopsis of all things Sherry and well worth picking up. For all the Sherry lovers out there, if you're wanting to go and get a book, this is by far one of the best that I've seen in the marketplace. So a little shout out to Miss Talia. Um, I don't know her personally. I've never met her, but like killer book, man, killer book. We'll put um, that. We'll put that in the uh, in the notes on the show at the end, and we'll uh, we'll we'll get a little picture of that post up. Give it a plug. It. Yeah, it, honestly, it, it's it, I I bought it before my last trip to Hereth, and it found it mm. massively useful just for just for understanding some of the things that I, I probably didn't know prior to walking in. Regardless of how many times you go into the place, it's always good to have like a really good book and it's a nice easy read like it's well written it's kind of it's fun to, to kind of pick up as for what's going on here Mitch I'm looking out my office window I have uh, nine inches of snow we've just got hammered are being hammered right now with the the nor'easter as they call them in the USA but basically the whole northeast coast is getting slammed with some crazy weather patterns so right right in time for valentine's day so we're recording this on the 13th but right before valentine's day 
we've got nine inches of snow. I had to go out and actually knock snow off the trees to stop the branches from breaking and collapsing the trees down outside my house. Well, Wild, what right? are you going to do for Valentine's Day? You want me to propose um, to you? I'm going to probably be shoveling snow. <laughs> <laughs> shall we get on with this episode then? We shall get on with this episode, Mitch. So this is Stories and Myths part two, two, two. Do you want to kick things off and go over the first story, some fun things that people might not know or stories that you might want to share? Yeah, so I think the way we're going to run this is we're going to do a story each and then we're going to do a myth each and then we're going to drop in a guest, the distillery. Why didn't we just do this? Excited. Why do you need to tell people what's coming? What are, what are, are, are they going to find out by their listening? expectations, Nicholas. Oh, you do that. Look at you, you know, go. They, they, might, they might switch off right now. <laughs> I don't know what's Mate, coming up. They're switching off for much more better reasons than, than whether or not they know what's coming later down the line. <laughs> so can I, can I finish or are you going to sure, interrupt? Sure, so, sorry, sorry. I really interrupted you as you were telling people, here's what you're about to hear, here's what I'm about to say, now I'm going to say it. <laughs> So you guys have probably been on the edge of your seat with regards to the the drop the distillery or guess the distillery even that we did um, last episode I think it was so we're gonna yeah. we're gonna reveal that and we're gonna do a new one as well because uh, Nicholas has got a new one and we're gonna make it a bit harder because I think that last one was quite easy and we go back to uh, another couple of stories another couple of myth, myths and we got a few jokes to finish off with. Oof. A couple right. of cheeky ones. A couple of cheeky ones. Right. <laughs> Let's kick this off though. My my first story is something that's close to our heart, Nicholas, which is um, William Grant and Sons and the gentleman that we both met, <laughs> Mr. Charlie Grant Gordon, uh, which, remember the time we met him in San Francisco? Yep. After we'd been um, drinking a, a load of snow phoenix and we were yep. heading over to Alcatraz. He was on Aye. the boat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, for those that don't know, Charlie Grant Gordon was, was instrumental in pushing William Grant and Sons forward. And one of the things that he did was, if you go back to the 60s, there was this gentleman's agreement, if you like, that whiskey companies wouldn't do any adverts on TV for whiskies. And uh, Charlie, being Charlie, being the, the kind of maverick pioneer that he was, went against this and he decided that he was going to do an advert for Grants, didn't care, put this advert on the TV. Um, Diageo or DCL at the time saw this and they weren't happy with him. So what they did was they basically threatened to increase the price of the grain whiskey that he was getting from them uh, or completely cut it off. So Charlie was being Charlie went, well, that doesn't matter. What I'll do is I'll create my own grain distillery. Uh, some of you may know Gervin Distillery that, that exists within the William Grant & Sons portfolio. It's one of the biggest grain distilleries now in Scotland. Uh, I think it's around about 140 uh, to 170 million litres of grain whiskey that's getting pumped out there every year. Unbelievable. So Charlie's idea was to build this grain distillery and it would allow the company to be completely independent from DCL at the time. So he picked out the site. This is in 1963 and picked out the site. And within six months, Gervin was up and running. And this was was a big part of, of, of Charlie, uh, because what he did was he decided to buy a caravan. He lived on site. And the story goes that he had a bicycle and cycled around the site with bottles of Grant's whiskey that he gave to everyone working there to make them work faster. And the guys who were working there eventually got a little bit pissed off with this, obviously, got hold of his bicycle and welded it to the frame of the distillery. So, Kind of cool story in that it just shows 
how pioneering he was, how determined he was to build a grain distillery within a six month period. And I, I just love that fact that, you know, you can imagine the, the workers down in Glasgow or south of Glasgow just being like, ah, screw this guy, let's get hold of his bike and weld it to the, the frame of the distillery. <laughs> Great story, mate. Great story. And your, uh, Charlie was just such a lovely guy as well, wasn't he? Like, oh, amazing. You know, yeah, used amazing. To, used to be parked out in the New York office and you could go in and just, door was always open. You could go in no matter where you were in the business and go and say hello. And he always you know, like really appreciated people coming in and just sit down and giving them five minutes of banter. Big fan of the ambassadors as well. He sure was. Sure was. Yeah. Uh, speaking of um, big fans, I'm a, you know I'm a big fan of Glen Rothes Distillery. So mm -hmm. the first kind of really cool myth that I wanted to, to talk about, a little legendary story, is a story of a gentleman that most people won't know unless have actually probably been up to Rothes, which is the gentleman named by Biawa Makalanga. Now, Biawa went by Byway. I'm guessing that was probably just a butchering of his name with people in Scotland that couldn't couldn't uh, understand his original name. Major Grant basically brings him back to Scotland, puts him into his employment as a, as a kind of footman and, and kind of a general servant underneath his wing. And um, kind of, I want to say takes care of him, but basically gives him a life that's not a, a, a homeless child running the running the the, the, the plains of, of Africa, um, waiting to be whatever fate would have awaited them there. And as you can imagine, brings him to Scotland and they start to spend a bit of time in Rothes. He's pretty kind of notorious. I think he, he joined Rothes Football Club, which would have been an interesting sight to have seen, uh, as, as you can imagine, a South African kid and, and young man at the time, I'm guessing, running around playing, playing football, but apparently he was pretty handy. Um, but the story goes that... Um, he's been laid to rest and you can actually go and visit his graveside. If you go to Glenrothes Distillery, most of you, if you've heard this story before, will know that the Glenrothes Distillery is right in the middle of town and there is a cemetery in the backyard of Glenrothes Distillery. That's why they call it the dead centre of town. Uh, but basically, boom, boom, boom. Byway was, was, was kind of laid to rest there. And... Then some things go a little awry. So even though he wasn't actually part or, or any, for any reason linked to Glenrothes Distillery, basically what seemed to happen was that they were making uh, some changes and alterations at the distillery. Uh, and this is this is kind of in a silent period, kind of in, in 1981. And they brought in this professor who was like, look, let's kind of go around and, and, and kind of change some of the, the, the ley lines and things like that. And... After that happened, where they were doing these kind of changes, uh, they started to see sightings of his ghost. Three people specifically uh, saw sightings of Byway's ghost, and they're like, "Wait a minute, something's not right here. Like, what's what's kind of upsetting the ghost of, of Byway?" And they sent in uh, another kind of professor called Cedric Wilson, who was brought up to the distillery to kind of take a look at what had been going on, and he was like a. Two things he apparently was an expert in, paranormal phenomena and then lee lines. So although the distillery management was highly sceptical, they kind of gave this guy permission to walk around and, and see what they could figure out. And they figured out that the new build of the distillery had damaged one of the ley lines. And this line had passed through Rothes Castle, the distillery, Rothes Cemetery, and basically right through and onto to, to, to Burghead. And iron rods were hammered into the damaged line to correct the energy flow. And the ghost has never been seen since. 
So since Ooh. they altered the work, ooh, creepy and spooky, like it. <laughs> That's a good one, mate. I've never heard that one before. That's cool. Oh. Yeah, yeah. The first time I heard that story, Ronnie Cox actually took me to the gravesite. I've actually seen seen where he was the by where he was laid to rest. Did he and, tell and it, when like, he died? It's pretty cool. Switch all the lights off and shit. Well, well, no, but it was an interesting one. Like when he died, uh, like obviously, like he kind of had a bit of a weird, bit of a weird life, and like he then went traveling. I think he was conscripted into the to to the army, and then when he came back, he was like, well, "Where's where's my where's my home?" And they converted basically what would have been his house because everything that the the, the, the um, major Grant had had was was kind of bequeathed to to Byway. And they kind of started to already kind of chop up some of the the land into apartments. So they gave him an apartment for the rest of his days. And then any money that he had when he died, he left it to Rother's football club because he was a, an avid fan. And he died in his 80s, like right right up in, I think it was like 1960-something, 1970-something. Mm. Pretty cool. Very cool, mate. Right, let's move on to the myths. So the All first right. myth that I want to take is, let's talk about peated whiskey and smoky whiskey here. Let's. So the one that I want to take is that a lot of people say to me, I don't like smoky whiskeys because they're too medicinal. You know, by medicinal, we talk about TCP, iodine. Uh, the one I like to use is uh, is licking a hospital floor, which yep. someone actually said to me once. I, I don't drink, uh, you know, this particular Isla whiskey because it's like licking a hospital floor. I'm like, why are you licking a hospital floor? What's wrong with you? So I thought that was quite an interesting taste note from that person. But I, I, I think this is, um, you know, and this goes back to my bit of an obsession with Pete right now. And we had Mike Billet on the, the show couple of episodes back talking about his his fantastic book uh, which i went through and in that he talks about the different styles of peat which really do as a lot of people listening know affect the flavor so when we're talking about isla isla peat we have the port ellen maltings which pretty much all the distilleries over there are getting their peat from they are using isla peat so let's think about this for a second isla this small island on the west coast of scotland getting absolutely pummeled by the Atlantic for, let's say, 90% of the time, right? We've all been over to Isla. It's, uh, it, it, it can have nice days in the summer, don't get me wrong, but a lot of the time it's it's windy, it's raining, you get this this sea climate that's going to be there, right? And that's going to be influ influenced by uh, what happens within the soil. So whenever you dig up peat, we're talking about all these different compounds within it. And um, in the book... Mike actually talks about the phenols being different within Isla Peat or this sea maritime note. So he goes in to get a little bit technical and nerdy, but he talks about these bromophenols, um, which is basically coming from the likes of seaweed, the likes of shellfish that you're going to get within this peat. That is going to burn off. That is going to add to this more medicinal note that we get from coastal whiskies or isla whiskies using this 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 isla peat right where it gets i think i think that myth is is taken away when you look at a highland whiskey that maybe uses highland peat and it's getting more of this cleaner bonfire smoke and we we know balvenny very well right from our days week of peat right now that's being used they're sourcing their peat from uh, lower pit sligo which is in the highlands it's not really being affected by the coast in that way they're getting this peat that's coming through that's more heather it's the, the compounds are coming from heather coming from wood that's going to burn in, the, in a different way right so not all smoky whiskies have medicinal content to them uh, and i think that's that's the kind of myth 
that I want to bust right here. Fair play, mate. Fair play. Thanks for explaining. That was that was that was nice. I'm going to go a little super geeky here as well because almost in in turn, where you have people talk to you about like smoky whiskies and then, you know, your smoky whiskey will always divide the room and and people that work for the the best smoky whiskey brands out there know that and almost embrace it now. I think to these, you know, I think Laphroaig do a great job of embracing the fact that people are going to you know love it or hate it and have yeah. very That's complimentary things to say or kind of thing, right? yeah correct the, the complete flip opposite and, and similarly uh, a lot of people always talk to me about you know you got to drink your whiskey neat or single malt has to be neat or you know blended whiskey you have with soda or like there's, there's not so many hard and fast rules around consumption uh, as, as with any spirit I don't think other than than specifically single malt whiskey uh, but but whiskey and Scotch whiskey as a whole tends to have a lot of people that have got a lot of opinions about the rules of drinking whiskey, and that's something that I thought let's let's kind of smash that up a little bit. Not all whiskey needs to be drank neat. Uh, the, most people will talk about water and ice. Now I think that for me, what I wanted to do was just talk a little bit about how this actually happens. What's the chemical reaction? And I'm not going to get into the super geekiness of it all. I'm going to try and keep it very top line and, and, and kind of out there for, for the layman to, to kind of understand this. But basically, when you add water to whiskey, three things happen. Okay, so whiskey is very viscous. The first things that happen when you put a drop of water into a whiskey glass is it breaks that surface tension. It breaks through the, the oils that are sitting in the top of the, the glass and it basically opens up what, and allows more aroma to come out. Okay, in, in its simplest terms. But the, the three things that happen is that the, the, the surface tension is broken, which allows more aroma to come up. The second thing that happens is the water dilutes down the alcohol content. So alcohol technically is a barrier to flavour. The higher the alcohol is, the less you can actually taste. So when people say, oh, I only drink cast strength whiskies and I can drink 10 of them, trust me, no, you can't. Right, you might enjoy drinking ten of them, but there's no way that you can chemically, like your your, your palate, your tongue, uh, you know, your your senses is, are going to be numb with the alcohol content. That's what the alcohol is there to do, effectively. You know, it's an anaesthetic. Okay, so by diluting down the alcohol, uh, you're breaking down the surface tension. And the third thing that happens, in its simplest form, is it basically water forces down the heavier alcohols and allows more of the lighter alcohols to come to the surface quicker so that's why you don't swirl a whiskey glass like you don't you're not trying to oxy, oxygenate it the same way that you do with wine where you swirl a wine glass you want to keep a whiskey glass still because the aromas the alcohol and the, the you know anything at 40 percent and above is going to rise the alcohols are going to come out of the glass anyway and bring those aromas with them so in order to just hold the glass there the lighter alcohols will come to the surface a little bit more you're going to get more kind of grassier notes and, and kind of greenier leafier notes and then you follow by those darker richer fruitier notes if you just hold your your nose over the glass with water added and the analogy that i often give people is you know when people cut grass you can smell cut grass it's amazing but if you cut grass in the summertime and then there's a summer shower and there's a downpour of rain you can smell that cut grass for miles that's the same thing as adding water to whiskey. It brings up those grassy floral aromas and allows them, you know, accentuates them and brings them more to the surface. And that's pretty much what happens when you add water to whiskey in its simplest terms. Adding ice to whiskey basically freezes up those fatty oils and it forces all the vanillins to the surface. So what your nose and your palate perceive is that kind of sweeter flavour profile, that's what tends to come to the surface faster when you freeze up some of the other compounds that are in the liquid. So that's why a lot of bourbon drinkers will drink bourbon in the rocks out here in the States. But if you put ice pretty much into any 
whiskey, especially green whiskies, wheat whiskies, and things like that, uh, you start to get that kind of buttery, sweet vanilla note come to the surface a little bit faster than you may have got if you just left the, the whiskey neat or if you, you know, if you put anything else into it. So f for me, that was really what I wanted to talk about. Just it's a simple way to think about it. There's no right or wrong. Uh, you know, obviously, if you're drinking a really nice single malt or something that's very expensive, you probably don't want to throw a Diet Dr. Pepper into it. Uh, you know, just drink it, drink it neat, add some water, add some ice. But also, don't go tell people how to drink their whiskey. Just let them enjoy it the way they found it, the best way for them to enjoy it. We should be advocates for people uh, drinking the whiskeys the way they want to, as long as they're drinking the right stuff. You're here to that. Yeah, That's very right. cool. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the other thing that I would add to that, talking about breaking it down, one of the things I always say to people, the reason we don't use ice when we're doing tastings and, and we tend to go for water is you think about what you do when you get cold. Right, you kind of hug yourself. You kind of go into yourself a little bit to keep yep. warm, and that's my analogy for what happens to a whiskey when you chuck ice in it. It kind yep. of goes into itself. It closes down. You don't get as many of those flavor compounds yep. that you're talking about with, with water, right? Yeah, it just brings different flavors to the surface. So that's it. Like you're gonna you're gonna get a different experience, no matter what. Yeah. Look at us getting all serious on this episode, mate. It's like we've grown up a little bit. Poof. Don't know about that. I'm standing up. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I need to sit down again. I've got one of these standing desks, which is quite nice. Get to stand here and talk instead of sitting. Fancy pants. No, it's mm. old pants. That's what it is. No fancy. I'm getting old. I need to stretch. <laughs> Can't say, I'm, I'm like, my sciatic nerve is giving me jip. Like, <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, what else? Right, let's take a break for this for a second. Now, I know you guys are all going to be on the edge of your seats waiting to hear what distillery it was that we left you clues for. Uh, now, to recap on this, the clues were, clue number one, this distillery is known for its diverse range of cask finishes, arguably kind of one of the leaders right now in sort of experimentation on what they're doing. Uh, clue number two, it went, un went under a captivating rebirth in 2017, unlocking new dimensions to this dram all done by a well-known whiskey personality and clue number three which i think was the one that gave it away for a lot of people was that this distillery draws its water from one of the highest peaks in Speyside. the answer was of course nicholas glen alley there you go i thought for a second there you didn't didn't know it or you, or you forgot it no <laughs> no 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 there, there was one of three things that i thought was happening there when i looked at you i was like he's forgotten it or he wasn't actually listening to any of the clues there. no no <laughs> see, see to be fair Mitch, during this podcast all i'm doing is waiting for my turn to speak again i'm just wait i just like it's like i just the minute your mouth stops moving i'm like okay here i'm up again <laughs> I don't even have don't know, you mate. turned you on my headphones. There, yeah. I can't even hear what you're saying. I don't even have you on in my headphones. I'm playing music in the <laughs> background. There's <laughs> a little insight to, to Nicholas's mind there, people. That's how his mind oh, This is the ADHD like, up at full. Have I got like, I've got one eye. <laughs> I've got one eye in New Year, one eye in New York. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so obviously the, the, the answer, I think we need to make this harder, Nicholas, for the next one. It was Glen Allocky. Um, so if, if you haven't listened to the episode that I did with Billy Walker, I sat down with him up at, up at Glen Elkie. Do yourself a favour. After you finish listening Great to this episode. one, go back. Have a listen to that one. Absolutely fantastic. That might be one of my um, favourite episodes. So, 
was it? That I'm not on. Yeah, yeah honestly, it might it, like it, it's a it's a great interview. Uh, mainly, mainly Billy's. I mean, I thought Billy's back must have been almost breaking from carrying you through that interview. But he did a he did a wonderful job of. Uh, I mean, there's no there's no Pulitzer prizes coming our way anytime soon. But like he did a great job of explaining all the things he's been through. He's an amazing guy, so it's really cool. <laughs> Unbelievable. So we got quite a few people get that right, obviously, on social here. Yep. Um, shout out to Rob Van der Kroop. You got it right. Uh, Ronan Curry got it right. He is the, actually the assistant blender. He um, hangs out with Billy. He's Billy's right hand man. So well done, Ronan. If you had got that wrong, uh, you would have been getting a slag in right now. Uh, my man Ewan Harris over at the Glen Turret, he nailed it. Well done, Ewan. Uh, I drink scotch. He got that right because he drinks scotch. So well done, mate. Uh, Paul Stevenson, well done, man. Still waiting for you to uh, get me that little tour around Linkwood, mate. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, great Dram's got it right. Uh, Dram Tail. And our number one fan, Chris Grieve, picked out Glen Elke as well. Uh, and last but not least, uh, Tom Stewart. So shout out to you guys. Well done for Get It Right. I did post it all on Instagram and our stories, and uh, you guys picked up on that. So thank you very much for replying. So, Nicholas, as I said, that one was way too easy. You've got a harder one for this week's episode, right? I do have a harder one, I think. Like, it's... Uh... This is one that I think I think this is a sneaky one. Even when I was doing like, obviously you got to research all these distilleries and then come up with the clues around it. But I was I thought this was a pretty pretty interesting one. So here we go. This distillery is one of the oldest in Scotland and dates back to seventeen seventy nine. Some of its distillate. This distillery has been opened and closed throughout its, throughout its history, so like mothball, shut down, as most distilleries and great distilleries in Scotland have. However, it also played host to an RAF command unit for almost the entire duration of World War II. And the last little clue I'll give you is that the heat waste of this distillery is used to warm a local public swimming pool, which was actually built inside one of the distillery's old warehouses. What distillery am I? What do you think that much? Bit, bit cheekier this time, right? Who am I? I, know I got I got that one straight off the bat. Oh, you did? Yeah. All right. Oh, there you go. Well, oh, well can't please all the people all the time. And right now, all those people I mean, are on this Zoom call. <laughs> hey, what's your, what's your next story, um, mate? Next one. Next story. Next story. Next story dates back to... Uh, my next story goes back to my Diageo days, where I kind of remember sitting with some of the, the older school guys at Diageo who could remember when it was DCL. And uh, a couple of these guys used to manage the distilleries back there. And they told me this crazy story about when the board of directors, they all used to meet up. I can't remember if it was like um, quarterly or, or one time a year, but they would all meet up and these guys would have their favorite distilleries, right? And at the time, DCL had uh, gardeners looking after the grounds at all the distilleries. You know, that was kind of a big deal, right? They had these amazing, and you look at, again, going back to, to Glen Kinchy, Glen Kinchy had a bowling green there, like an amazing garden. So they obviously had someone to, to tend to that. So when these board of directors got together, what they did was they all went on a fishing trip to decide what was gonna happen. So before they went on the fishing trip, they would send someone out to all the distilleries to speak to the gardeners, to get the gardeners to get worms from the gardens. Those worms would then get put in a tub, 
marked at uh, as to which distillery they were, sent back to all the directors, and then they would use the worms, obviously, for their fishing trip. And whichever caught the biggest fish, that <laughs> distillery got a prize. That's <laughs> brilliant. And I just thought that's that's you know you think about DCL at the time you know DCL then went on to become Diageo, um, but just so out there, so kind of wacky, and you can imagine them doing that with the amount of power and kind of money that they had at the time, going around and just collecting worms and chucking them out to see which <laughs> could be That's pretty cool. crazy, right? I, I like that. Yeah. So the, on 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 a very similar kind of weird and quirky strain. This is a good one actually. You might not know this. This is a story about Cork Distilleries Company. So Cork Distilleries Company is an obviously Irish whiskey. So we're deviating a little bit off our usual path here. But this was founded in 1867. Right. So 1867. Fast forward. Uh, a little bit later, about 15 years later, so in, in 1882, they hired a, a guy from Cork called Paddy Flaherty. And he was basically a salesman. And he travelled, to his job was to go to all the pubs around Cork and basically market and brand Cork Distilleries Company Old Irish Whiskey, which was the name of the juice at the time. And basically, he was the ultimate brand ambassador. Like, this guy was a legend. Everywhere he went, everybody knew him because one of the things he would do is go and buy rounds of drinks for customers. So you and I know, Mitch, we've done this all over the States together. You've done it all over the world. Like, one of the easiest ways to convert hearts and minds is to go and buy them a dram. If they're drinking something else, you buy them, you believe in your whiskey, buy them a dram, put it in the hand, let them taste it and tell them why they should include drinking this. So this guy, Paddy Flaherty, was so good at it that... The people who ran the, the bars and, and, and the restaurants in Cork completely forgot that they were supposed to be buying Cork Distilleries Company Old Irish Whiskey, which doesn't quite roll off the tongue. And they started to order cases of Paddy Flaherty's whiskey. So in 1912, his, his name had become so synonymous with this brand that they changed the company name of the whiskey to Paddy's Whiskey. And that's how you've got Paddy's Whiskey from Ireland now. Because they just named it after the guy that was buying round after round and the ultimate brand ambassador getting people to drink whiskey. So if you ever get a bottle of Paddy's, that's where the, the name comes from. That is cool. I did not know that one. It's a cool one, right? We need to do more stuff on Irish whiskey, actually. What was that? We don't talk about Irish whiskey enough. <laughs> we don't talk about Irish whiskey enough. But um, big big question, how did Redbreast get its name? <laughs> 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 so I'm going to take my final myth here, right? So I think the one for me is it's I'm going to I'm going to attack this subject of no age statement, which might be a little bit controversial. I don't think it's as controversial as it used to be if we go back maybe 10 years ago uh, when they were kind of new on the scene. But, you know, I want to take this myth that um, no age statement whiskies, so whiskies that don't have any kind of number on the label um, are poor quality and they're not worth it. You know, I, I, I think that is something that people look at sometimes and go well it's not a 10 it's not 15 or 20 so i'm not interested in it um i my my whole stand on it is that no age state whiskies can be absolutely fantastic as long as they're priced correctly if they're not priced correctly and they're not tasting good then yeah okay people have a an argument there let's say but you talk to master blenders i was just with one um last week mate which i'm not allowed to talk about right now because it's all my secret squirrel stuff that i'm doing at the moment but i was just with a with a major master blender 
And we, we got talking about no age statement whiskies. And one of the things that he said, he, he was like, I love doing it because it takes the handcuffs off. Sometimes you get a younger whiskey in there that you want to blend into, into it. And it gives it this vibrancy that you're not going to get if you just have, say, whiskies that are over a certain amount, like 15, 20 years old or whatever it's going to be. So I think no age statements, uh, uh, Scotch whiskies can be absolutely stunning. And we've drunk a few of them, right? Uh, for me, the, the old school no age statement whiskey out there is, is Avalara Boonham. That was kind of the OG on the block, if you like. Yep. Um, you know, and then we go through within our career of looking, working together with the Wayne Grant and Sons, uh, Balvenie Tun, 1401, banging, no age statement on that. Glenfiddich Snow Phoenix, no age statement whiskey. Um, yeah, I, I drunk some amazing no age statement whiskeys and, and, and I love exploring. Often, I, I think as well, often there's a, there's a quirky story behind them, which you could argue is a little bit of marketing sometimes, a little bit of marketing bullshit. But when the, the, that liquid is good and the story's good, I don't think it needs to have an age statement on it. So mm -hmm. that's one of the myths that I would like to put to bed. Some people may argue against it, but I don't know. What do you, what do you think? No age statement whiskeys, you a fan? I, I love them. I'm a big advocate for them, but I also believe that you need to, you can have no age statement, but I, I think the more information you put out there about what the what the whiskey makeup is, the better. So, and in and, and some points, it actually ties into what I'm about to talk about next, which is which is about natural colour, but darker whiskey and, you know, things like that. And and I think that the, these two parts are probably hand in glove. Um, you know, I, I personally speaking, I think some of the best whiskies I've ever had have been non-age statement whiskies, um, and non-age statement whiskey doesn't always mean it's it's younger. Like look at Balvenie Tun One Four Hundred One, no age statement. Some of the oldest stock profiles that they've ever put together. So you know you've got forty-four year old whiskies in that batch, batch number three, and you know I think the youngest whiskey in there was about twenty, twenty-two or twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two years old. Like that's, that's, you know, you can still have non-age statement whiskies with a high price point if people know what, what they're getting and, um, you know, what the expectation of, 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 of the liquid's going to be. But I think the more you know, the easier it is to make that informed decision. I think that, you know, taking something out of the market that used to cost, you know, $200 with a nice age statement on it and replacing it with a non-age statement liquid, but not explaining what it is and still charging $200, that's the problem. And and, it, and it's not it's not infrequent, sadly. And that's the thing that I, that I, I tend to have a bit of a rub with, where I'm like, what, what am I paying for here? And is it really is it really worth it? Um, you know, we appreciate whiskey companies need to turn a profit and keep people employed and all these other things. But, you know, the the... The economies of whiskies are also something that we pay attention to, right? You know, I don't mind, you don't mind, and I know that you're the same here, Mitch, like if you're buying a 30-year-old single malt, you expect to pay premium price point for that. Uh, if you're if you're buying, you know, an entry-level whiskey, I expect it to be under $100, you know, and when it's not, then it, then I tend to have more more questions to be asked, and if, it, if the packaging doesn't tell me why it should be more than $100, then I'm least likely to... To enjoy it or to to buy it in the first place. Mm. Is that fair? Which is a, a good little segue to your next myth, mate. It is, which is darker whiskey means it's aged longer and tastes richer, and that's not always the case. First and foremost, I always say, you know, um, and even old whiskey doesn't mean that you're going to get, even if it's got an, a thirty-year-old age statement in it. You know, it doesn't. All you, all it tells you is the age. It doesn't tell you how good it is. So the quality of the barrel and the maturation are really going to help you understand 
that part of it. But also, and it's kind of my little bugbear, um, I like natural coloured whiskies because I don't need every whiskey to look like a mahogany table. I expect whiskey, and most people are really shocked when they go to a distillery and they see, when you see what 12-year-old whiskey looks like when it comes out of a barrel, the majority of people are a little shocked of how light in colour it is. And it's not because it's light in colour, it's because they've kind of become a little bit brainwashed in expecting all these whiskies to be super, super dark. And the reality of that is because of E150A, otherwise known as spirit caramel. So spirit caramel is used fairly regularly uh, in, in the Scotch whisky industry and in other world whiskies. Um, it's not used particularly in, in America, um, outside of, 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 I mean, bourbon can't have any of this added into it. Uh, but basically it's a, it's a colouring agent. And the argument that's made by the Scotch whisky industry and some of the Japanese distilleries out there is that, that it's used to balance colour. So it's used for consistency. Um, so, you know, you know, you know, bourbon barrels and sherry butts, every single barrel is completely unique. So you're going, they're going to impart different flavour profiles and compounds, but they're also almost always, the, the colour is always going to be different. Now, for, for my two cents, I feel like a really good master blender can create good colour using great wood, uh, spending a bit of money on, on first fill sherry casts. You can really change the colour of a liquid by doing some things with the wood relatively quickly. So I'm not convinced that spirit caramel needs to be as important to our business as it has become. Uh, I think it's become a cheap way to darken down liquid quickly and gives brands the ability to say that that's it being consistent. Um, for me, you know, as, a, as an owner of Shibui, we, I specifically don't use caramel colouring and I don't mind having light coloured whiskies for our entry level whiskies. We've got some super dark whiskies because that's what happens when you do stuff in Okinawa and you get this accelerated maturation. But I think that that's part of the, the joy. In fact, I even lean on guys like Billy Walker. He's got one of the best quotes on, on the Glen Alhey website, which is, we don't pursue absolute consistency. We pursue absolute perfection. And that, to me, is a much better goal. Is your whiskey exceptional? Cool. I don't mind if, you know, from, from year to year, the colours are slightly different. If every expression that's released is fantastic, that's the whole point of whiskey. Like, I understand from a branding and marketing standpoint why that's a little bit more of a difficult conversation. But I think the consumer now, Mitch, is moving more and more into, I want no additives. Like, think of the tequila market. The tequila market 15 years ago, was Cuervo Gold, a whole load of shit, a load of additives. And even now, if you think of like things like, you know, the you know, some of the other tequilas that have had astronomical scale, but they've been, they're very additive heavy. So they smell like vanilla juice and all these other things because they're just so heavily doctored. Now there's a massive wave of dist distilleries in Mexico having to change their liquid profiles because the can complete backlash from the consumer of going I don't want all this crap in me like if, if I don't know that it's not natural uh, you know additive free is is, a, is the standard now where people are saying you know I want it to be additive free I don't want it to taste like vanilla juice I want it to taste like agave and Mexico and the earth and all the things I, I feel like that with whiskey and I specifically with scotch whiskies and Japanese whiskies I feel like you know I'm okay to, to get inconsistency in colour if I've got great quality and, and flavour because I've worked for brands in the past where I've tried their liquids uh, as natural colour and then I've tried them as caramel colouring. Now, technically, 
E150A doesn't change the flavour profile on massive batches of liquid that are being put together. And it really doesn't. You, But it's bitter. It's not sweet. It's not a sweet additive. It's a very, very bitter burnt sugar caramel colouring that's added in to darkened. And it works very efficiently. But to me, spend a bit of money in great quality wood. Have a great talented master blender that's going to get the flavour profile right. The colour shouldn't be as important as it has become and I'm hoping we're going to move away from that as an industry and really that's up to the big brands to take the lead on that and say actually here's what the consumer should expect in order to have a natural colour whiskey across the board. What do you think of that? No, it's a good conversation. It's almost like another episode within the episode. Um, it is. I'd, I'd love to see it go away in Scotch whiskey. I know an American wouldn't, you, you're not allowed to use it over there. Not, uh, not for bourbon, but for, for American yeah. single malt. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Barbara, you're not allowed to use it. But yeah, I mean, is I think everyone who listens to the show is very aware of E150A and what it does. And but I, I'd like to la- ask the the average customer that's just casually drinking whiskey, are they aware of it? You know, it, probably not. And and would they understand it if they saw differences on like a a big whiskey that's out there, a big brand that had differences in both their twelve year old? They would be wondering about that. So I still understand why it's used. I'm not justifying it. But yeah, I'd like to see it go away for sure. Anyway, mate, let's we're getting a bit serious here. Let's lighten yeah. the uh, the mood a little bit. Let's do some jokes to finish off with. So <laughs> before we get into this, though, mate, um, Eric, Eric, uh, I think I might butcher your name here, uh, Leter, he actually wrote to us and said, "Sorry, Mitch Nicholas won the round of the joke last episode. He was on fire that whole episode. I felt your pain throughout the whole show. Thank you, Eric." But also fuck you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so saying my joke wasn't as good as yours, but yeah, I felt my pain. Yeah, welcome to my world. So anyway, you want to start with the joke, or you want me to do the joke first? Oh, okay, thanks. I mean, in this short, I'll, 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 a couple of good one-liners for you, right? Because I had a right. dream last night that I was actually cutting carrots with the Grim Reaper, dicing with death. <laughs> oh, what have you got, mate? I went. <laughs> I uh, I went to fill my tires up the other day, and it cost me a pound. I remember it used to be fifty p, but I guess that's inflation for you. <laughs> I like that one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I saw an advert. Uh, no, I saw an advert in the window. It was a it was a TV for sale, but the the volume was stuck on full, so they were only asking for a pound. I thought, oh, you can't turn that down. <laughs> right, on that note, hang on. What have we done? Is that week? just one joke? To, come on. What, what else have you got? got? You, I, only got uh, I only got one this week. You know, uh, I told this one. This was a, I'm going to tell you this story because this actually was funny. I, I was doing an event for company called Aberdeen Asset Management. Uh, I was doing some of their burn suppers years ago. And in, in Canada, they've got uh, one of their clients that came along was a whole table filled with Catholic nuns. <laughs> and you know my jokes, mate. Like, I was like, one, I, I speak the King's English if the King had Tourette syndrome. So I'm swearing like a trooper and trying to like dial that back, first of all. And then secondly, like I've got all these Catholic nuns and I'm like, like, so I have to completely change my whole routine and jokes and banter. But I'm just like, how do I engage them? I thought, right, I've got a couple of jokes for them. I'm like, 
uh, do you know what's unnatural in the eyes of God? And like, no. And I'm like, contact lenses. <laughs> and at that, <laughs> at that point, I just look up, I catch the eye of Aberdeen's CEO and he's just shaking his head. <laughs> and I'm like, not to be deterred. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> turn my direction <laughs> to someone else in the table is the president of Europe or whatever is a German guy who's come over and I'm like right I've got a German joke for you I've got a German joke for you he's like I don't want to hear it <laughs> like trust me this one's good and he's like okay go for it and I'm like I've just deleted all my German friends from my cell phone it's now hands free <laughs> To be fair, he did Wait, giggle. That's funny because, <laughs> I, so let's rewind a little bit. Was was that a real scenario? You did a, a tasting with a group of nuns? Uh-huh. I did a real tasting. They came like four years back to back. I did it for four years and the nuns always came, sat up front. And they, I have to credit where credit's due, they laughed their asses off. Like I would, I think I didn't even stop at that. I had another, <laughs> another one for them. I was like that. Uh, you know, I like Jesus. But he loves me, so it's awkward. <laughs> hey, that's so funny. You start telling that. I was like, oh, he's going there with some non joke. No. <laughs> <That's terrible>. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. You can't, you can't start with really? non jokes, mate. That's just a bad habit. Whoa. <laughs> all right, all right. Enough, enough. Right. On that note, guys, thank you so much for listening this week. Hopefully, you enjoyed our little myths and stories that we've put out there. Uh, excited to drop next week's episode, mate, because I went down to Tamdu and sat down with a legend that is Sandy McIntyre, distillery manager. So, we're going to be dropping that. Uh, for a wee episode after this one. It's a good one. You're going to want to tune into that. But again, thank you so much for listening. As always, please do us a favour. Whatever you listen to, whatever platform you listen to, our wee show on, hit that subscribe button. Uh, interact with us on Instagram, Not Another Whiskey Podcast, all that great stuff. Really means a lot to, 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 to the two of us to hear a lot from you guys and get some interaction. So until next time, my... American Scottish friend Slangevar and good Slangevar. to see you brother cheers brother take care guys speak soon bye